0: Hello, hello, good morning. Welcome to another episode of Muthanomics, Muthanomics 56, where we are looking at deriving power from poverty. Um, Hope you guys had a good last week or so. Um, Today, wanna go over, uh, last one I looked at kind of negative things stemming from poverty, how poverty breaks certain things, Um, time-based structures, that kind of stuff role-based structures um, and getting out of the uh, cycle of daydreaming and despair today I want to flip it and look at some positives um, that come from growing up in poverty and I'm just going to be speaking from personal experiences and observations that that uh, I saw as a kid and how I have observed that those positively uh, have can impact. Uh, me as an adult, and hopefully you can glean some stuff from this, and get take some positives away. Uh, because again, the entire purpose of the Mythonomics podcast is to help us derive uh, power from poverty. So today's episode is titled "Living Outside the Box." I almost called this "Thinking Outside the Box," or forget thinking. You've lived outside the box. Um, And if you grew up in poverty or you currently are in poverty, I think one of the biggest positives that you can turn to your competitive advantage is the fact that you have lived or are currently living outside the box. And you say, well, what do I mean by that? Um, You know, in in corporate culture and corporate kind of, you know, corporate speak, they're always encouraging you hear this term, oh, let's think outside the box. And people, you know, we normally associate that with, you know, thinking differently or looking for a creative solution or, you know, breaking the status quo. And sometimes in in corporate land, you know, thinking outside the box can become a little cliche, and I think that people might pat themselves too much on the back thinking, oh, you know, I'm thinking outside the box. But, you know, in reality, maybe they're just thinking in a different portion of the box. Um, One of the benefits of growing up very poor is you live outside the box. And I think what I mean by that is you, your life experiences consist of events that are different than what you would see on a you know family TV sitcom um, and so for that reason if you can turn that to you know see the positive outcomes of those experiences, I think it can really become a competitive advantage for you in a free market uh, system or in a free market enterprise um, and what's interesting to me about this is the, history books the biographies that i read of people around you know in the mid 1800s late 1800s into the early 1900s kind of you know right around maybe pre-world war one maybe a little bit after there are so many examples of people turning poverty to their advantage because being in poverty caused them to see the world in a different light and some of my favorite Biographies on the business front. The two that come to mind most readily right now is one, Eddie Rickenbacker. Um, His dad died when he was twelve. His dad died in a construction accident. He was working on a bridge, and I think a pile driver hit him and killed him. Um, And so, at twelve, Eddie Rickenbacker had to drop out of school. I think it was the seventh grade, and he had to go support his family, his 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 mother and his siblings, and. You read through his life, and he was constantly seeing opportunities where other people, which, which other people were overlooking. And it wasn't like groundbreaking, world changing opportunities to begin, it was real small opportunities. And one of the stories that stands out to me is he went uh, looking for work and he went into this warehouse and he went into the owner and he said, Hey, I need work. Um, and the guy said, Sorry, young man. You know we're not hiring and so i got to get out for a meeting you know have a good day and so the owner left and eddie reichenbacher looked around the warehouse and he noticed that it was really dirty so he was like you know what i'm gonna make this thing shine like the top of the chrysler building to quote uh miss hannigan from from annie i don't think the chrysler building was around uh when reichenbacher said this um but anyway he went to work for the next two or three hours just cleaning sweeping wiping down organizing and when the owner got back from his lunch he said he looked around and he was incredibly impressed with how clean the place was and he was like who did this and eddie rickenbacker was there and was like i did sir and he said you didn't know that uh, you had a demand to keep this place clean and organized so you know hire me for that and so the guy was like hey i didn't know i'm gonna pay you and i think he, you know paid him a quarter a day or something maybe it's a quarter an hour quarter an hour seems high might have been a quarter a day um And so Eddie Rickenbacker saw saw and created an opportunity out of something and in the midst of an environment and a culture where everyone else was overlooking it. And it was something as simple as recognizing, hey, this place is dirty and, and it could be cleaned and it could be organized. And it impressed the boss so much, the owner so much, he gave him a job. Um, You know, and then he went on to be an IndyCar race driver and uh, World War One fighter pilot ace and, uh, you know, Eastern Airlines founder, which eventually I believe became Pan Am at some point. Um, You know, so he was he started with something as simple as just going above and beyond and finding an opportunity in an environment and in a culture where everyone else was overlooking it. Um, the second one that comes to mind is a book called Unstoppable, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but it's about a a Jewish immigrant who survived the concentration camps as a young as a young person in Nazi Germany. Lost his entire family in the camps, somehow survived, immigrated to America with a couple bucks in his pocket, and began to look for and see Z- Zelwig I think that might be his name Zelwig uh it's going to come to me here in a minute maybe um but anyway he began to see opportunities where other people were overlooking things and it, again it was just simple stuff like making a small improvement in efficiency in a factory um and he went on to found a bank and he was the first Jewish person to own uh, an oil and gas company in America. Um, and he went on to a very successful career, um, largely because he lived outside the box. He was forced to live outside the box. And, you know, certainly being in America and being raised poor doesn't scratch, doesn't come close to competing with the atrocities and the level of suffering found in concentration camps in Nazi Germany. And, you know, there is this benefit. I think there's benefit in arguing from the greater to the lesser. And you look at someone who overcame harrowing circumstances, learned how to live outside the box, and from those harrowing circumstances, learned how to then see opportunities where other people were overlooking them. And so, those are two examples that come to mind. Um, you know, we could there's there's dozens and dozens of others from that era because that was sort of you know people in the Great Depression around that era. You know, poverty was more common than not, and so you know you were forced to live in ways that were uncommon. And for the for those who the poverty didn't destroy. With despair and daydreaming, um, I think there's a real opportunity here um, to turn living outside the box into some positive assets for yourself. And you go, okay, what do you mean? Well, here in my experience, this is, I think, the core of how it works. I, I think that at its core, living in poverty, living outside the box introduces you and it, for, it certainly introduced me to multiple alternate uses. And you say, what the heck do you mean by multiple alternate uses? Sip a coffee. I'm on a hunt. Uh, I've been on a hunt forever to f- try to find coffee that um, I enjoy. That's not just, you know, my favorite two or three Starbucks beans. Uh, and a friend in Tampa sent us a delicious um, brand of coffee f- straight from Columbia. Um, comes in a bright red bag. And I'm enjoying it. It's pretty good. It's it's a little lighter than I normally like. I, I tend to like a really dark coffee. But that's neither here nor there, as they say. Uh, multiple alternate uses. Um, I'm just going to share some experiences to give you, you know, an idea of what I mean by this. Uh, must have been... Must have been 1986-ish, and my parents had parked their trailer on some vacant land in the middle of the Kingman, Arizona desert. And I mentioned in the last episode, and we're going to talk about this more in a, in a future episode. The promise of the uh, ever increasing in size carrot that is used to continue abusive behavior, and in my dad's case, alcoholism. And so one of the carrots that he continually dangled out in front of the family was medical school. And, you know, anytime he would, I, I think anytime he sensed that it was on the brink of like imploding, like the house of cards was gonna collapse, he would make, he would take a month or two and really, you know, try to convince everybody that he was locked in on medical school again. And so we had parked the, they had parked the trailer out in the middle of, of you know nowhere in Kingman, Arizona desert And he decided that it was time to, you know, throw that carrot out in front of the family again. And he decided to drive up to Las Vegas uh, to check out UNLV and their medical school. Um, And so he asked if I wanted to go along with him. And I I was seven or eight at this time. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go. Um, So I remember we got in the car and we drove up to... Uh, Las Vegas from Kingman I well I think it's maybe a 90 minute two-hour drive something like that and we get up there and you know we we park at the UNlv campus and we're we're walking around and he goes into some uh buildings and I remember he checked out the bookstore and he peeked into a couple lecture halls um you know and it was this whole you know again thing of like hey can you see like you know could you could you imagine living in Vegas and me going to medical school and you know just just making that carrot as appealing as possible. You know, it's not like it was just a carrot that was dug up and all you know, muddy and look kind of gross. It's like, you know, he's polishing it up and spritzing it with the spray bottle for like a commercial food photography shoot, um, really trying to make this thing look great. And at some point, um, it, was, it was time for lunch and I remember being hungry and he had just scraped up enough money for gas there and back Holy smokes, that's loud! Apologies. Silence the phone. Silence the telephone. Um. And so he'd scraped up. Normally he'd just scrape up enough money uh, for gas there and back. You know, maybe scrape up enough money to stay in a you know budget motel for the night if it was too far. I remember once we he took the Texas Medical School tour when we were in Flagstaff, and you know he scraped up enough money to. Deal with gas, you know. Going over to, I think, I think we went to, I think we went across I forty to Texas Tech. I'm not even sure if they have a medical school. They probably do. And then somehow we went down towards Dallas. And I think one night we stayed in, you know, a little roadside motel. Um, And then the other, the other night or two, we, you know, crashed at some distant cousins or distant aunts and uncles places. Um, so this this carrot of, you know, making this carrot nice and juicy looking and, hey, you know, medical school, can you see the vision? Uh, every now and then he needed to do that to keep the, keep the alcoholism flowing. Um, anyway, so he, he scraped up enough money for gas there and back. And I was like, hey, dad, you know, it's lunchtime. I'm getting hungry. So we went to Safeway. Um, I remember going to Safeway. And he went in. And he got a, a single can of chili, like chili flavored pinto beans. And he brought them back out to the parking lot. And I was like, well, dad, don't we need to buy a can opener? And he, anytime he was on the brink of or in the midst of demonstrating multiple alternate uses he'd get this really creative kind of lightning energy in his eyes. Um, And I'll always remember this. Anytime he was either getting ready to or in the midst of uh, applying multiple alternate uses, he would just get this like really kind of crazed look in his eye, like just excitement. And, you know, he took a lot of pride and joy, I think, in the fact that he could He could buck the system and still get to the same end result, I think, is what he was going after. So he said, well, hold on. I'm going to show you something here. I'm going to teach you something. And he went into the trunk. It didn't matter which jalopy my dad had. It didn't matter if it was his 58 Dodge, a 71 Mercury Comet, his bevy of early 1970 Peugeots or Volvos um it didn't matter what type of jalopy he was currently bouncing around the southwestern countryside in. he always had like a a veritable workshop in his trunk (laughs) (laughs) tools left and right just all kinds of stuff i mean it was like he was a hoarder in the trunk and so he goes into the trunk digs around and finds some wire some metal wire and he pops the hood and he takes this can of chili flavored pinto beans. And he says, hey, see that down there, son? That's the manifold. And he goes, you don't want to touch it. It gets really, really hot, like blazing hot. And he goes, we're going to use that to heat up our lunch. And he took the can of beans and he did like a little knot kind of thing with the wire. And he kind of lowered the beans down towards the manifold with this wire kind of like a fishing pole with beans on it and he got it to where he wanted it on the manifold and then he tightened up the wire um so that this you know can of beans was was securely kind of pressed against the manifold and he goes all right cool you know we're gonna you know continue to drive around to a couple more places unlv check out vegas and you know in 30 60 minutes we'll we'll have a hot lunch And I was like, what the heck? And I'm still thinking we don't have a can opener. Like, what are we going to do? So get back in the car, drive around. Felt like forever because when you're hungry, it's like your stomach's like turning in on itself and time goes by really slowly and you're just like, I'm starving. This sucks. So we drive around for another, I don't know, hour. Pull into another parking lot, hops out, pops the hood, you know, retrieves the can of beans, he, always, he he always had like big welding leather gloves. Like that was a perpetual thing that he had. I mean he literally take like the most hoarding random shop of stuff like a workshop and just pack it into whatever jalopy trunk that my dad had and that's that's what you had at all times. Um and so he, you know, he pulls this can of beans up, takes it off the manifold, and I'm still sitting there as a 7-8 year old going, "How are we going to open this thing?" and he goes digs around the trunk, gets a hammer, and a flathead screwdriver and he sets it on the, the asphalt in the parking lot and he just starts tapping away at it. Just takes the takes the flathead screwdriver, bam, punches a little hole in it. You know, moves the screwdriver over quarter inch, half an inch, bam, does it again, bam, bam, does it all the way around. And he does it about eighty percent of the way around the can, and then he uses the the you know screwdriver to pry up the lid. And sure enough, we had hot beans. Heated them on the manifold on his jalopy car and open them with a screwdriver and a hammer this is kind of what i'm getting at with multiple alternate uses and growing up in this situation as a kid i saw this over and over and over again and you might go oh man he's gonna bore us with a lot of stories now of all these multiple alternate uses yeah i am but not all of them just a couple that really stand out and the point here is to try to get you to think about multiple alternate uses you've seen and instead of disdaining them and instead of mocking them and instead of looking down on them in derision and sort of judgment look at them as opportunities for you to make disparate connections to make connections between seemingly disparate things um, so that you can achieve the same or similar goal taking a very alternate route that's kind of what i'm hoping that you'll get out of this so next one that jumps out to me 1988 where we are living in tucson and my dad decides to drive me over to el paso in his 1958 dodge pickup for a tennis tournament it was the southwest championship and it was the first time that he was like all right you know we need to go establish a ranking for you so we went over to that tournament and it was played at santa Teresa country club which back then was i think a lee trevino like retirement community And it was so cool. Like, I remember it just felt like a paradise because you're driving through El Paso, dusty, sandy, desert, and then all of a sudden you, you know, cross the Rio Grande River and you you just come into this community. They're just bleeding the Rio Grande dry, basically, to keep this thing green and lush. And, you know, it looked like a veritable paradise. Um, We went back, uh, I don't know. 2008-ish and it was it was it had converted back into being dust um, because the country club had gone bankrupt and is overrun by the desert but go down there tournament play some matches whatever that's not the, that's not the story the story is four or five days later we're heading back to tucson and this is the middle of june 1988 hot 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 and we're somewhere between like deming and tucson there's another small town outside of tucson i can't remember the name of and the the truck his 1958 dodge truck starts to sputter and you know those old trucks with carburetors it would start to sputter and then it would really start to gasp and then it was just like and it'd just die so we coast and roll over to the side of the road and he sits there and he goes well maybe it's flooded maybe it's overheated he is vapor lock he used to say maybe this thing's vapor locked you know if it would get too hot apparently the I don't know exactly how a combustion engine works, but I think the idea was that if it gets too hot, sometimes the carburetor can't, instead of like handling fuel, it just is dealing with vapors and it doesn't have enough to keep the combustion going. So he's like, let's just sit here and let it cool off. So we sit there and sit there and sit there. Goes to turn it, just just cranks and cranks and cranks and cranks. So he sits there and thinks, and he goes, you know what, I think, he goes, I think the fuel pump might've gone out. And I was like, great, you know, we're, we're a hundred miles from any place that has a place where we can get a fuel pump. and who is going to have a fuel pump in stock for a 58 dodge? And I'm nine years old, sitting there you know sweating my balls off, going, oh man, this sucks." And internally just going, we're stuck. How are we gonna get home? This is terrible. And my dad, he just goes, you know, let me let me think for a while. And so I just take a deep breath, you know, use the hand crank, roll down the window. And, you know, the, the cars and the traffic zoom, zoom, and the semis would pass, and the whole, you know, truck would shake in their in their jet stream wake. Um, jet stream for a truck, a truck stream, uh, that blast of air. If you've ever been broken down on a freeway and a semi comes by, you hear it, zoom, and then it's like shakes just because of that wind. Um, so probably 30 minutes, my dad's sitting there. And the longer the 30 minutes went on the weirder it became like he the the, the he didn't have the crazy look in his eyes at this point he kind of was squinting and you know he started using his hands like in the air it looked like he was like drawing out stuff like just but there was no paper or pen and he like started motioning with his hands and like making shapes and you could tell like his hands And his brain were concocting something that he thought was going to be able to bypass this need for a fuel pump. And after about 30 minutes, he looks at me and he goes, stay put, I'll be back. And he hops out, waits for a break in the traffic, and he hops out the driver's side, goes around to the back of the truck. And again, it's like the smorgasbord hoardings, you know, Daydream, not daydream. uh, You know, not just like their paradise of tools. Like it's a what's the word I'm looking for? Not nightmare. Their not their fantasy. Um, This word is slipping my mind. Whatever it is, it's like their paradise. It's just the jackpot of hoarding smorgasbord paradise of tools and anything you could possibly want back there. So he rummages around through all this stuff which again, most people would have taken this stuff to a dump, but you know, he's anytime he'd see something, we'd be crossing an intersection and he'd see a tool in the middle of the intersection. He'd pull over and, you know, brave traffic and wait for the red light and, you know, run out there and grab it. And it was a crescent wrench or a screwdriver who who knows what. Um, and he'd just throw in the back of the truck. So we just, he always had this stuff in the back of the truck, hops back into the cab. He has a tennis ball, a utility knife, a circle clamp i don't know if that's the technical term for it it's it's basically the clamp that you use on your dryer hose to attach it to the wall so it's you know it's a circle clamp that goes over the hose and then you use a flathead screwdriver and you tighten it down and like the circle gets smaller um if you don't know what i'm talking about go and look at your dryer and you'll see that clamp um he's got an old bike inner tube and he's got some rubber cement and I was just like, who is this? What am I doing? This is like, just like this, I was getting really frustrated as a nine-year-old internally Um, and he looked over at me and he started to have that look in his eye and I was like, oh geez, here it comes. I I don't know what it's gonna be, but it's gonna be something. And he pulls out the putty knife and he starts to slice the tennis ball right down the middle like an orange, like you would with an orange. He just cuts this tennis ball in half. And then he cuts out the little air nozzle on this bike inner tube. Why on earth he has a bike inner tube back there? I have no freaking idea. He cuts this, cuts the the nozzle out, okay? So it's just like the thing that you put the air hose on to air it up. And then he kind of looks and he's looking and he takes the utility knife and he cuts, starts to like, kind of bore a little hole in the top hemisphere of the tennis ball that's now cut in half. Then he takes the the inner tube nozzle and he sticks it through the little hole in the tennis ball that he bored, gets it nice and snug, and then he just smothers both sides with the rubber cement and he sets it on the dash and he goes, now we wait. It's like what are we waiting for this is what is happening right now why did you just murder one of my tennis balls that's one less ball i can practice with when we get back to tucson and what why did you murder a bike inner tube i might have used that on my on my red banana seat bike back at home what the heck's going on cars still zoom zoom and at this point there's a car always remember this big texas rancher truck pulls over it's got the Longhorns on the front you know super proud Texas rancher. Anytime you see a car or truck with those huge longhorns as their hood emblem, hood ornament, you know that they're a proud Texan. So this guy creeps up behind us, you know, and, you know, in between the brakes and the traffic, you can kind of hear the tires kind of grinding over the gravel as he slows down. My dad goes, Hey, hold on. You know, I'm going to go talk to this guy. So he hops out and I have my window down at this point, And they move away from the traffic over onto the passenger side of the truck. And they're standing off on the shoulder. And this guy's like, hey, you know, what happened? You need some help? And my dad says, yeah, I think the fuel pump went out. And he's like, well, you know, let me give your son and you a ride into wherever. I don't remember. Maybe it was Silver City. Maybe that was the closest town, like north of I-10. Um, and he's like, you know, there's a there's an auto shop there or an auto parts store. You know, you could place the order. It might take a few days to get in. And my dad goes, no, no, I, I think I got it figured out. And the dude was like, what do, you, what do you mean? And he comes over and he's like, hey, Brandon, hand me that. And so I pick up this tennis ball contraption, tennis ball inner tube nozzle contraption. And he goes, hey, make sure you give me the clamp too. And so I pass this out the passenger side window. And this dude just starts laughing his head off of my dad. He's like, that's not gonna work, son like are you crazy he goes no no I think it's gonna work he goes on and put this I'm gonna take the fuel cap off of the you know where you put the fuel in I'm gonna replace the fuel cap with this tennis ball inner tube nozzle contraption I'm gonna clamp it down like I would a dryer hose and then I'm gonna air it up with my he had like a a red I don't know I know how many gallons that must have been it might have been a 50 gallon air tank like a little portable air tank that he always had for his flat tires and you know tire leaks and whatever. And he goes, I'm going to air it up and I'm going to use the air compression to push the, the fuel to the carburetor. And this guy is just rolling on the floor. He's like, that is not going to work. He goes, this is, this is hysterical. And, you know, the guy, the guy offered, leave it to the, you know, mid, late 80s. Um, this guy offers my dad a beer. <laughs> so they sit there and they crack open a cold one on the side of the highway. And, you know, my dad, the more this guy protested at my dad's multiple alternate uses of a tennis ball, a dryer hose clamp and an inner air inner tube nozzle and some rubber cement, the more my dad, the more this guy protested at my dad's proposed multiple alternate uses, the crazier the look in my dad's eyes got so they sat there and shot the breeze and my dad tried to convince him he wasn't buying it and he even said he goes all right he goes well i'll be back he goes i'll be back this way uh this evening so you know i'll pick you up then and you know we can i'll take you in and my dad's like well we're not going to be here i appreciate that sir but we're not going to be here and this guy's just cackling all right man see you in a few hours and he took off and my dad at this point like the the fanatical crazy look in his eye that was like excitement and joy and just like almost pure unadulterated euphoria of multiple alternate uses to bypass a fuel pump on a 58 Dodge. And the whole time I'm getting so mad at my dad inside. I'm like, why don't you just take him up on his offer? He's got a big, nice rancher vehicle that's air conditioned. And he wants to take us somewhere where we can buy a part that'll fix this go the conventional wisdom route come on dude so i'm I'm brooding and stewing and he goes over to the side and he sure enough he, he unscrews was it it was it wasn't like a modern one where it's like you know twist and it click click lock it was just that old metal thing you know and it just like had a little rubber seal on it and you just twist it and so he untwists this thing puts it on the driver's seat, takes his little tennis ball contraption and puts it over the fuel entry pipe and tightens it up with the clamp. And he, sure enough, he gets the air tank from the back of his truck and he starts to inflate the freaking gas can, the, the fuel tank on our truck. And he was looking like at this point, he was kind of like, huh, You know, you could tell it was like he didn't really know. Like it was like, okay, he had this idea, but how to actually work? How how much does he air it up? Um, You know, is the is the tennis ball gonna fly off into the freeway, and he's gonna have to dodge traffic and go? You know, pick this up and try it again. So at this point, the the kind of crazed excitement kind of turned into like total uncertainty. Like I don't know if this gonna work. So he just has the just thing, and I remember I'll always remember we had a you heard a. Thunk, and then a deeper thunk. and that was it. And he stopped. And he goes, "I think that was the fuel tank expanding." We're gonna give this a try. Cops in, and and this is I didn't even mention the screwdriver in these old cars. You know, he he lost his keys once, and instead of you know trying to go and buy another key, he just ripped the whole key system out, and he'd start the truck with a flathead screwdriver. So another multiple alternate use so gets in there starts to crank it and i'm like this isn't gonna work dad we missed our opportunity you suck and he's like no no just you know give us some time that the, the 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 fuel needs to get pushed there just give us time keeps cranking and just as i'm about to like verbally express my disdain Brum, 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 pew, pew, and it backfires real loud. That was a terrible backfire imitation. Pew, pew Sounds like a kid, cowboy's an Indian gun. Um, bam! Backfires, sputtering, rumbling, and he looks over at me and he's like, We're in business, son. And I was like, <laughs> And it was just this over like this just wave of accomplishment and euphoria and he would have paid every last dime he had, which was you know maybe twelve bucks, to have that rancher be there and see this thing actually work. And I guarantee you, he probably still fantasizes about. Man, I wish I could see the look on that rancher's face when he came by later that day and the truck wasn't there. Um, sure enough, he waits for a break in the traffic, throws it, and grinds it into first gear, and we start you know bounce along the shoulder and we get back into the flow of traffic and he just that you know he spent the next 30 minutes explaining to me how a combustion engine is very basic it just needs to make sure that it has fuel and the only purpose of the fuel pump is to mechanically press fuel to the carburetor and to the engine and all you had to do was recognize that it was just the fuel needed needed to get pushed forcefully pushed into the engine and that was the purpose of a fuel pump and because of that the tennis ball the inner tube nozzle the dryer clamp and rubber cement was accomplishing the exact same thing it was just forcefully pushing the fuel into the engine and so you know the next 30 minutes we're bouncing along and he's just you know basking in his you know engineering uh genius really his en- it's an engineering marvel and about 30 minutes down the road it starts to sputter again and i'm going oh this didn't work this was just a temporary hack maybe it was vapor locked starts to sputter dies again we roll off to the side of the shoulder and he goes oh no big deal i just have to air it up again wait for the sounds and at this point it was like one one instance of this of the fuel tank going thonk thonk was his sweet spot it was like okay if i do a thonk thonk we got 30 minutes of driving (laughs) so he hops out and he, f- he fills up the tank again. Thonk bonk, hops back in, cranks it up. We get another 30 minutes. Sputters again, dies. Do this maybe two or three times, and he's like, okay, this is getting kind of annoying. So the, I don't know, fourth or fifth time it dies after getting 30 minutes of driving time. We pull over and he starts to think again, start to draw, you know, kind of, you know, motion with his hands. And this one wasn't very long, it was super easy. He, and I don't know where this came from. I have no clue where this came from. I don't know if he, maybe we were at a truck stop and he bought it. I have no idea. It could have just been part of his hoarding extravaganza in the back of his pickup truck bed. But he had, somehow he got a black hose that he screwed onto the tennis ball nozzle. And then he put that back in to the back of the the bed, the truck bed. And then those old 58 Dodges, they had like that little oval window, you know, rear window. And he slid that open and he put the hose, this black hose, through into the truck bed. And then he positioned his little 50-gallon air tank right next to that window. And then he put that hose into the cab. So he had the black hose coming from the tennis ball. And then he had the air tank hose coming in from the air tank. And he's like, we'll just air it up as we drive. And he'd look at his, he'd look at his little watch. And it was like every 20, 25 minutes. All right, time to fill it up again. Donk donk. Keep going. Multiple alternate uses for a tennis ball, an inner tube nozzle, some rubber cement, and a freaking dryer clamp. What's craziest to me about this entire story is, you know, we get home and he, you know next day the neighbor's out oh what's that you know how can we got tennis ball he starts bragging about it telling everybody about his solution you know week goes by it was like okay yeah this is just this is just a temporary solution until i go buy a fuel pump go to the gas station he'd unscrew the 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 dryer clamp take the tennis ball contraption off put gas in put it back on tighten up the dryer clamp air it up thonk thonk Man, I'll never forget those sounds. It was two thonks and you were good. Um, We'd be at the gas station, people would Marvel. What is that? Why do you have a tennis ball? He'd tell the story. He continued to use the tennis ball, the dryer clamp, and the inner tube nozzle, and the thonk-thonk system for the next six years. That's the most amazing thing to me. (laughs) He never replaced the fuel pump. And I think it was a combination. Well, I don't think it was a combination. I think think his payoff was breaking conventional wisdom. And, you know, having two or three or five people a month comment or ask a question at a gas station was his payoff. That was his payday. And every time someone would ask, he would get that same kind of crazy look in his eye of just pure euphoria of being able to solve something in an unconventional way. 1994 rolls around the 58 Dodge has seen its last days. It's now a collector's item. This thing is is just beat to beat to all get out rusted, just paint job's terrible, you know, just having all kinds of problems. So my dad decides to list it in the Albuquerque Journal as a collector's item, and I think he, you know, 550. it's Like 550 bucks, something like that. It wasn't very much. And at this point in time, when he's about to sell it, he goes, oh, I should probably replace the fuel pump. <laughs> he goes down to AutoZone or Pet Boys or whatever, gets, a, gets a, a fuel pump for a 58 Dodge, and you know crawls underneath there one afternoon, switches it out, fires it up, works. Just wild on all fronts. I mean, just crazy on all fronts. But this is what I'm getting at with multiple alternate uses. And... If you're able to have an open mind and see the competitive advantages that come your way based upon living outside the box, you're going to identify some opportunities that no one else is going to see. So what I would encourage you to do if you grew up in poverty or you are currently in poverty, I would brainstorm. I would sit down and I would brainstorm for a little bit. Because I am almost certain that you have at least one or two or five of these similar things where you can identify something you have seen that has been in multiple alternate use. And you need to sit down. You need to brainstorm. You need to remember what those experiences were. You need to detail them. So just pull out a journal, pull out a notebook, pull out a piece of paper, pull out a printer paper. I don't care. Pull out your notes app on your iPhone and start to type what the experience was. Just recount it in detail. Recount it in as much detail as you possibly can. Note what the multiple alternate uses were. In this particular, in these two instances I've shared, it's an engine manifold, some wire to heat up some beans and a hammer and a screwdriver to open a can. And then it's a tennis ball, a dryer clamp, rubber cement, and an inner tube nozzle to bypass a fuel pump. So recount the the entire event in, in as much detail as you can. Make a list of what the alternate uses were. And then do some reflecting on, okay, I've lived outside the box. I've seen these Connections that ultimately worked using seemingly disparate things to accomplish the same goal. You've bypassed conventional wisdom to arrive at the same functioning goal. I'm telling you right now, there is a lot of power in that. It's funny, my wife and I... Um, This is probably, I don't know, 2014. We agreed to start going to talk with a counselor once a month. This was five years after I, yeah, it was an 18 month period. So this was probably three and a half years after I'd come out of like the, the trough of troughs, the valley of valleys. And so we decided, you know, probably be healthy to continue to explore some of this stuff. So we started going, talking to a counselor once a month. And, you know, I was sharing some of these experiences with him and different stuff. And, and he just stopped me kind of dead, you know, kind of just stopped and said, he just pointed at me and just kind of nodded and was like, you're who I want to be with if the apocalypse ever happens. And I was like, what? what? And he really meant it. it was like a genuine comment. And he, go, and he looks at me and he goes, because you're a survivor. He goes, you, you know how to get from point A to point B in ways that other people can't or have never experienced or don't know how to even, you know, concoct that, that path. Um, So again, if you've grown up in poverty or are in poverty, I guarantee you, you have similar experiences that you can draw from and find power in. Now the challenge, the challenge is then acting on those things, but the first step is identifying what those are and giving some some contemplation um to you know what those events were what those multiple alternate uses were be very specific and then brainstorm and i'm just kind of kind of give you a quick rundown um four c's that i've found uh that have resulted from me growing up living outside the box not just thinking outside the box, actually living on a day-to-day basis outside the box. And I'll share some of these other stories that are outside the box in, in other episodes because they're hilarious. And I think that they're it might help unlock some additional things for you to say, oh, yeah, I remember that event. That's living outside the box. The first thing this is going to do, the four Cs, it's going to make you contrarian. You probably have a pretty strong contrarian streak. And it's important that you don't fight that. Conventional wisdom says fight it. Conventional wisdom says I can't be a contrarian because no one accepts contrarians. Well, get over wanting to be accepted and embrace working and worshiping well. And if you've grown up in in poverty and you've seen multiple alternate uses and you've lived outside the box, it's going to create in you a contrarian streak and you have to not fight that. You have to embrace it and you have to learn how to work your contrarianism well and integrate that into your work and your worship. Second, seed that this is going to create is you're going to be creative. You know, my peers, seven, six, you know, seven, eight, nine year old peers, their creativity was, you know, coloring in a coloring book or, you know, doing some art project. I don't know what their creativity was building Legos, Lincoln logs. Erector sets. I think that was a thing. I remember I had a big orange plastic thing that was like the upgraded erector set. It was like instead of metal, it was these blue and orange and gray plastic things and you could build stuff. I got to see creativity kind of unadulterated, just completely unhinged creativity in the wild. And I'm certain that if you have similar childhood, you've got those experiences. You've seen some wildly creative things. Embrace that creativity, contemplate and and brainstorm and think about how you can use that creativity to work and to worship well. The third thing that this is going to do is it has the potential to make you contentious. And this is something you really have to guard against because you're going to find that when people, when you run up against conventional wisdom and people just instantly kind of, poo-poo it, it has the potential to make you contentious. And this one you really have to be aware of because blowing up in a contentious way is going to hurt this contrarian creativity. It's not going to help it. So you have to be aware of that. The fourth thing that I think gives you a huge, tremendous power and benefit to mankind is that living outside the box, I truly believe gives you the ability to be compassionate in ways that other people can't. And what I mean by that is I find in my own heart, in my own mind, I find myself having genuine compassion for people in similar circumstances. Which people who grew up inside the box, it's harder for them to have that. Because I think they throw the baby out with the bathwater. They think, oh, that's an alcoholic family that's a generational alcoholism and they just they take the whole unit and they chuck the entire thing that's not the case you can't you can't wrap the kids up into parent substance abuse and say oh that's the entire family no you have to treat each person as an individual so i think this has the uh, ability to create in you some compassion that it might be difficult for other people to find in their hearts. Now, with that said, I have zero compassion for snooty elitists. <laughs> like people people who instead of inquiring about the creative genius of using a tennis ball and all that whole system to, to bypass a fuel pump, but people who mocked it, like fellow tennis players, we'd show up to tennis tournaments in that truck, and you know, they would see that set system and set up and they would use it as mocking material. And they would rewrite the words to, you know, Davy Crockett born on a mountaintop to not be Davy Crockett, but to be Brandon Muth. And they would I remember one kid, he actually made up, he took he had the audacity and the time, he used his creativity. this is back in the day of Xerox machines. It's not like you could just hit print on your home printer. He like, like serial killer, you know, like cut out letters and stuff and like taped them onto a piece of paper and then took that to the Xerox machine and like printed them at Kinko's or someplace. Alpha Graphics, I remember that was a place in Albuquerque back in the day. And he printed up these flyers for a possum barbecue um, out at Brandon's trailer. And it was a total joke. And, you know, all the tennis Mm -hmm. players thought it was hilarious. Uh... So... With all of that said about having compassion where other people can't find it, <laughs> I have zero compassion for elitists. In fact, I'm probably the opposite of whatever compassion would be um, for snooty elitists. Like I really deride them. Is that the appropriate word? Uh, but detest. There's a deep detestation um, for snooty elitists who can cons- who who insist on following standard convention so those are the four c's four other things never here, and then we're done here then you can get busy writing and brainstorming and remembering um, just some just some honesty here living outside the box you're gonna these are a couple four things you're gonna find you're gonna find that it's hard to fit in and this is just a truth this is not this isn't a positive or a negative this is just a reality you're going to find it hard to fit in and in my experience it's because this living outside the box creates in you almost kind of a hyperactivity and we can you know that's a whole nother discussion of why it creates that hyperactivity but if you have if if the poverty hasn't beaten you down into despair and you have turned it to to be a positive force in your life, you're going to find this hard to fit in, and this is largely due to the fact that you're going to be hyperactive. And most people want the status quo to just remain. So that's one. The second truth I think that you're going to discover is that you're going to be happy to find out. And what I mean by that is you don't need to necessarily know the exact destination. This is an adventurous spirit. It's like, yeah, who cares? We can, we can take a piece of crap truck and drive it across the hot El Paso to Tucson desert. Who cares? Why? Because we're happy to find out. If it breaks down, so what? We'll scrounge around and we'll find a multiple alternate use to fix the problem. So this adventurous spirit, tap into it. Start to live in it. Uh, don't let people squash it or downplay it or try to defeat it keep that adventurous spirit because growing up living outside the box part of that is it's created in you this desire and 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 comfortableness with being happy to find out you're adventurous third thing you're going to discover, and you might have already done this, is that you're going to be an expert at hacking to figure things out. And there's a book you might want to pick up. It's called Hackers and Painters or Painters and Hackers, one of the two. And my father-in-law got it for me eight, nine years ago. And it's basically a look at how artists and hackers have a lot of similarities. And if you've grown up living outside the box, you're going to be very adept at being able to hack to figure things out, which kind of ties into this adventurous spirit, this adventurous side. It's like, yeah, you know, we'll just keep hacking at something. We'll hack this tennis ball in half and we'll hack this inner tube and get the nozzle and we'll look and we'll, okay, we'll hack a clamp on there. Um, You're going to be, you're going to have abilities that other people don't to hack to figure things out. So lean into that one as well, because that is where Your value is going to lie. That's where your satisfaction is going to lie. That's where you are going to most likely discover how you work and worship well, is leaning in and exploring and exerting effort in this hacking to figure things out space. And the beauty of that is is that this hacking to figure things out can apply to any career, any field, any realm of employment. It doesn't matter what it is. There is room in all employable spaces in all entrepreneurial spaces to hack to figure things out and that's going to be i believe where if you don't allow poverty to defeat you into despair and you're able to pull some power from those situations this is where this this is your sweet spot hacking to figure things out and just like there was one negative on the c's the contentious there's one negative here to look at you're going to probably find that you haste to frustration. And that's something to just be on guard of because it's hard to fit in. You're going to have a lot of naysayers. You're going to have that rancher in the fancy rancher truck laughing and mocking and you know, downplaying your entire idea, pre-concluding that it's going to fail. You're going to have that all the time. of the time that's going to be how people receive you and you're going to see the solution you're going to see around corners and you're going to go no i know this is going to work and everybody's going to laugh in your face and for that reason you're going to at times find that you haste to frustration and i would just say be aware of that you know because That's just part of this childhood that you've had. This is part of the experiences that you've had is that you're going to haste to being frustrated because you're going to get angry and you're going to get frustrated that people can't see what you see around the corner. So, you know, recognize that, get it out, you know, do a, you know, Tiger used to say what 10 yards of rage or something after he hit a bad shot, he'd have 10 yards of rage and then he was over it figure out some way that you can have 10 yards of rage in your entrepreneurial life. You, you propose a solution. You've hacked to figure things out. You're happy to find out you're adventurous and you propose that solution and people poo poo it. They laugh at it. They mock it. Somehow find out a way for you to have 10 yards of rage. Hit the delete button and just keep on grinding because your biggest assets is your adventurous spirit coupled with your ability to hack to figure things out. So hopefully this all makes sense. Um, man, it would be great to sit down with all you listeners. And I'd love to hear your stories of how, you know, I want to hear your tennis ball dryer clamp story to bypass the fuel pump. Um, because I, I know you have them. So take, take some time this week. Write those things down. Be specific. And then give some brainstorming time to how that might apply to what you're currently doing, or what you think you might want to be doing uh, in the future here. So that's Muthonomics episode 56. We will see you on the next one. Not exactly sure what the next one I'm going to talk about is. I'm just going to feel it out. But we will at some point be talking about the carrot um, to continue the abuse um, and a bunch of other things. So Muthonomics deriving power from poverty. Hope this inspired you. And I uh, just want to encourage you that don't discount the, the events in your life. I truly believe, in fact, Paul the Apostle says in Acts 17.26, depending on which translation you read, that God has determined the exact times and places that men shall live. So I truly believe it's taken me years to get to this point, but I am fully convinced that God's sovereignty dictates the experiences in all of our lives, whether difficult, easy, challenging, rewarding, frustrating, despairing. He orchestrates all of these events to help us move incrementally closer to this goal of working and worshiping well. So take heart in that. Take courage. Don't be dismayed. um, And we'll talk to you on the next one. Have a good day.